Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to talk about heaven. Where in the world is heaven? <laughs> so, and what is heaven? And what what do they mean by heaven? And, there, you know, there's a couple of different words in the Bible that are translated heaven. And uh, they, they appear in a number of different places, and... Uh, if you were to see some of those Greek words today, according to the best scholars uh, of Greek that are uh, out there in academia, the word heaven might not be translated heaven. Uh, because the word appears a lot of other places in Greek texts and they don't translate it heaven. So what does the word actually mean? And what were the authors of the Bible trying to tell us when they were talking about this thing, heaven? Because the context often has a great deal to do with uh, what you intend the word to mean or stand for. So, anyway, uh, I've done a recording on this many years ago. It's, it was back when we had very poor technology, and uh, or at least I had very poor technology, and it wasn't a very good recording, and we've had some problems with it. And so rather than simply trying to clean up that recording, we thought we'd do a whole new look at this idea of heaven versus heaven, which is one of the chapters in the book's Covenants of the Gods. Covenants of the Gods is a really important book. It's available free online because of the fact that it talks about this idea of the Ten Commandments of making no covenants with them with the inhabitants where you go, nor with their gods, and understanding what the word God is. And we'll touch a little bit on that and looking at heaven. Uh, the, when you see the phrases kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God in the Bible, uh, some people try to make a distinction that the kingdom of heaven is one thing and the kingdom of God is another. And the reality is is that only Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. And on our page heaven at preparingyou.com and also at hisholychurch.org uh, you can find a chart that uh, shows you the different places where the term kingdom of heaven is used and in talking about the exact same thing in uh, Matthew and in Mark, Matthew 4.17 and Mark 1.15 uh, Mark uses the phrase kingdom of God but Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. And it's saying, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And that's uh, pretty much what Matthew says as well. From the time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He he's using that phrase kingdom of heaven. And you can look at Matthew 5.3 and Luke 6.20 and Matthew 11.11 and Luke 7.28 and Matthew 13.11 and Luke 8.10. And you see the same thing talked about by different apostles in the Gospels. And Matthew is using the phrase kingdom of heaven. And Luke is using the phrase kingdom of God because they are the same. 
It's just a different way of saying it. Matthew was a bit of a Hebrew uh, approach to the Gospels because of who he was preparing the Gospels for were mostly Jews and Hebrew uh, people. And so he used a different phraseology. And uh, and we look at that a little bit more detail on the page. But basically, that's it is the same thing. And anybody who's trying to make a distinction between the two is not going according to the what the biblical t- context is trying to tell us. One of the things uh, I remember in Matthew 6.10, where he talks about the kingdom, and he says, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So he's saying that the kingdom comes to us on earth when the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, pretty much, if you want to stay there, you got to do the will of God. And uh, if you don't, you end up getting cast out like those who didn't want to do the will of God were cast out in evidently a war, which we'll also talk about more. In Matthew 11.25, we see at the time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. And this is an important thing. To understand what we're talking about really is a matter of revelation. It's not a matter of an intellectual pursuit. It's about God revealing it in your heart. Now, we're talking about it, and we're going to bring up some things, but mostly that's to help clear away the things that are clouding your vision that only comes to you by way of revelation, where God is writing upon your heart and upon your mind. And so... It's very important that you realize that you know the truth because God reveals it to you, not because somebody tells you. Because that would mean that you could figure out the truth, you could figure out what is true, that you could establish what is true in your mind. And that's kind of what the sin of Adam is, at least the first part of the sin of Adam that he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He tried to decide for himself what was good and evil rather than receive the revelations of God as he walked with God in the garden. So you don't want to go down that road, but we all have gone down that road. And so that's what repentance is, is going back the other way and seeing and thinking a different way. Revelation is key. Revelation on an individual basis is key. In order to get that revelation on on an individual basis, God has to answer our prayers to know the truth. Well, God won't even hear you if you've gone down some roads like we see in Samuel 8. He says, I will not hear you in that day. So it's very important that you learn how do you get God to hear you. Uh, how do you get back to that place where God will hear you? Where God will draw near you to even write upon your heart and your mind? And how can he write upon your heart and your mind when you got all this other stuff already on your heart and mind that you've already accepted as true that just ain't so? So, setting down some of the information, letting go of some of the ideas that you've already been giving... Putting that information around in its correct place is part of revelation. But revelation is still key. 
So, if we're going to talk about heaven, what what happens when you die? Well, what what about eternal life? If there's eternal life, do you even die? Um, what is eternal death? What is eternal damnation? And what is all that about? Well, there's a great deal on those subjects in modern religion. And uh, it's it's based on taking bits and pieces of the biblical text, which really doesn't talk about heaven very much. It talks about government far more than it talks about heaven. I mean, even religion, as we know it, the word religion is only mentioned five times in the Bible. But government is mentioned hundreds and hundreds of times. And, of course, there's a conflict often between governments of the world and the government of God. And that's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's the kingdom of God. It's where there is another king, one Jesus, and you're doing his will. Not just saying, Lord, Lord, but you're doing the will of the Father. And that's very important that we turn around and start seeking that kingdom by seeking the righteous of God. And the righteousness of God is doing what God wants you to do. Christ emphasized that. Paul emphasized that. Peter emphasized that. He even said that you would begin become entangled again in the yoke of bondage. You would curse your children and you yourself would be made merchandise that we see talked about in Revelations where men become Slaves and their soul even becomes part of the inventory of the traveling merchants of the earth. So how does that all come about? Well, Peter told you, I tell you all the time. And so if you're going to be seeking the kingdom of heaven, you have to be seeking the righteousness of God, not the self-righteousness of men. A great deal of religions say that you can save yourself by saying certain words And that simply is not the case. James makes it clear. Paul makes it clear that if you're doing certain things, works of iniquity, that you're not saved. This is how we know you're saved if we need to know that at all. Um, You actually need to know if you're saved. I don't need to know if you're saved. But uh, we know them by their fruits, by what they do. And so if you're not doing what Christ said, you may not be saved despite what your preacher said to you. So, uh, people want to know the answers, uh, but do people really want to know the question? Because it's important to know the question in order to know the answer. And so, what is the righteousness of God? In Matthew sixteen nineteen, we see, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That's actually one of the keys. That binding yourself on earth, back to that covenants of the gods, making covenants, constitutions and contracts with the inhabitants of the world and their gods. The word gods meaning ruling judges. That's what the word actually means. It's even translated judge and or judges in some places in the Old Testament and was commonly used. The word we see translated into God in the New Testament was commonly, commonly used to identify judges in courts of law. So whatsoever, whatever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever 
thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That is actually one of the keys to the kingdom of God. There are other keys to it, uh, or maybe there's only one key, and that is Christ, or you know, Christ is the door, so I don't know how he can actually be the king, but uh, the key. But what he says, you know, this is just laying out the metaphor. What he says for us to do, and the way in which he says us to do it, unlocks that door. We don't even have the power to open the door. We can knock, show a desire to enter, but God will open the door. That's part of that revelation. The Holy Spirit listeth where it will, and the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us revelation. So, this idea of binding and loosening, how do you loosen yourself from the bondage of the worlds is that you loosen others from the bondage of the world. See, as you judge so shall ye be judged. If you judge it's okay to bind your neighbor, then it's okay your neighbor binds you. If it's okay with you to loose your neighbor, to to free your neighbor from your wantonness or avarice or your greed, uh, then you shall or may, if you continue to seek the righteousness of God, be set free. And that's part of that opening of the doors that Samuel said that God would not hear you in that day because you did not hear the cries of your your neighbor, the cries of your children, that you put them back into bondage, you sold them into servitude uh, so that the kings of the earth could uh, take and take and take and take and take because you were slothful in the ways of God. So... To become diligent in the ways of God and set your neighbor free and actually love your neighbor, care about your neighbor, and provide for your neighbor. And when there's a genuine need, this will open the ears of God so that he can hear you. He still has the choice of when he wants to apply what he hears and bring about the salvation of God. And it is not only by revelation, but it's by a miraculous intervention of God. But that intervention of God, what we call miraculous intervention of God, is really not all that much outside of nature because God created a cause and effect universe. He's He's trying to tell you often through Christ and the Holy Spirit how the universe works. And so in Matthew eighteen eighteen we see, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever ye shall bind whatsoever, you shall bind on earth, and it could be whosoever, because you do bind people on earth, shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Matthew actually mentions this twice, this idea of binding on earth and binding in heaven. Well, one of the things in those statements is that earth and heaven are seemingly Different locations. Heaven is one place. Earth is another place. And he's using a word that actually means earth rather than a word that means world. Because there are, like we say, there's five different words that are translated into world in uh, the New Testament alone. Or four or five different words, depending on what translation you're looking at. There are certainly five words that could be translated into world. But they mean something quite differently. But this idea of earth, let's just look at that as the realm, this physical realm in which we live. Uh, 
this planet upon which we live out our existence. And uh, heaven is someplace else. It seems to be a spiritual realm. It's where God uh, exists, although God exists on earth too, because he is the God of both heaven and earth. We know we're supposed to have dominion over the planet, and uh, we should be walking with God. That's what Adam walked with God. He didn't decide for himself what was good and evil. He walked with God, and God showed him what was good and evil, what was right and wrong. And he had some sort of choice in the matter because he was given some sort of directive to dress it and keep it. And so we had dominion over this planet, and evidently there was a serpent or somebody who wanted to tempt us to decide for ourselves what was good and evil, and we fell. There was some sort of a falling in our ability, our understanding, our wisdom. Uh, we were no longer walking with God. We were not even in the Garden of Paradise. We were somewhat driven out by this uh, cherub, whatever that means, uh, holding up a fiery sword, which is kind of a light thing, like a lightsaber, I guess. But anyway, that light drove us out. And was that because we did not want to see what it revealed? We, we hadn't, we weren't really willing to admit our guilt in the process. We were hiding from it. That seems to be what the story is telling us. We're hiding from the truth. And so that's a common problem is that when I mention things that are true, and talk about them, some people still want to hide from the truth and they're driven away. But other people who want and are willing to see the truth and handle the truth, so to speak, they may begin to understand uh, because of the fact that they are willing to see the truth, the whole truth, and provide for it. Providing for it is doing the will of God. And that's one of the things that we need to be willing to do is to do the will of God. Christ said, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who are doeth the will of God. So we have to be a doer of the wills. And that's part of that righteousness of God. And what is the righteousness of God? It's not, knowing what it is, is not an intellectual pursuit. Again, it's about revelation. And that revelation will vary from individual to individual. In principle, it, it will be the same. But revealing to you what you are specifically supposed to do uh, to be saved, maybe in this world and in the next, that will be up to you. It will follow the principles of God, but it may be slightly different for you than it is for me. You may have a different mission, a different uh, part of God's plan. So, that's why revelation is so important because it is individual in its scope. So, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We know that from Genesis 1.1. And this was the Spirit of God moving upon the earth that brought about life. And it brought about in that bringing of life a pattern. And in that pattern, there are laws. There are, you know, like physical laws, like physics, uh, that are implemented. You do this, something's going to happen. And uh, 
The question is, what was this earth was a place that we were put and given dominion to address it and keep it and uh, live out from with God's hope and design uh, the uh, spiritual nature of God. We were made in God's image, so we should be manifesting that spiritual nature of God. And, of course, the spiritual nature of God includes the idea of giving life. And, of course, husbands and wives come together and they procreate a child. They give it life. They take care of it. They uh, nurture it. And in doing so, they sacrifice their own time, their own life. And this is a very important part of that process. And that process should extend beyond the family to other families. This is why both Moses and Jesus said, Love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, love thy neighbor's children as you love your own children. This is, uh, this is what seeking the kingdom is all about. It's part of that key. Again, there's really only one key to the kingdom of God, and that is the character of Christ. But in the character of Christ, there are many different aspects to it. And you can think of them metaphorically as the notches on a key. And that if you if you file off one of those notches, the door will not unlock. You need all the notches in the key to open that door, to unlock that door so that God may open it. So is... If if we think of heaven, and, and there's a number of different ways the term is used uh, in the New Testament especially, but uh, heaven is a spiritual realm and earth is a physical realm. Both are created by God. Both follow after the principles of God and uh, they are supposed to be together when you do the will of God just as they do in heaven but now here on earth because it's not enough again to say Lord, Lord but you have to be a doer of the word. Now, all kinds of societies have different views of you know, what heaven is. I mean, uh, the even amongst the Jews there are n- numerous different interpretations of what heaven was like and what went on in that world and in the modern Christendom there's people who write books about you know they died and they went to heaven and they came back and they they tell what they see and it's all fascinating and interesting but they were never that specific in the Bible you know the Greeks had this Elysium or this island of the blessed they talked about. The Greeks and the Romans had that. And then there were the seven spheres of the firmament uh, in Jewish mysticism and even in Islam. And uh, then, of course, the Vahalia uh, of the Germans and Scandinavians and Nirvana of the Buddhists. And everybody has this idea of what the heaven is all about. But the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And we're supposed to actually seek it and the righteousness of God. So, let's take a look at some of those things when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom and see if we can get kind of a biblical perspective of what heaven is and is not. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, if you if you go back to the European Renaissance and uh, look at all the paintings, 
and uh, they give you pictures of what heaven is supposed to be like. You know, I can pretty much guarantee that it isn't like what they are painting in the picture. This is a product of their imagination. Uh, you know, they got fat cherubs and cloudy realms and and hosts of angels all standing around singing songs and and praising God and and yeah, that's that's the artistic. Uh, license to create some sort of a painting and that's fine uh, but the fact is is they can give us some kind of preconceived notion and really the Bible doesn't spell all that out yeah, the Bible is filled with metaphors and uh, even mentions the fact that it's an allegory in many places so it's trying to paint a picture without actually taking a photograph of the kingdom of God. And so we have to be careful we don't carry the metaphor too far because we can actually lose sight of what the message is by focusing on the metaphor and take the metaphor uh, too far in our own imaginations. I mean, Israel uh, followed a cloud, supposedly, that uh, was this cloud in the, uh, the sky, in the heavens. Because the word for heaven sometimes is really just the word for up in the sky. And uh, that cloud glowed at night, looked like a pillar of smoke in the day, and evidently a pillar of fire at night. And and they followed it around. And, and of course, now we see the same word cloud uh, where, uh, well, the cloud at one point actually supposedly turned sideways, a door opened up, and somebody was talking to Moses from the inside of the cloud. And uh, we have Jesus go ascending up in a cloud. And so the artist is painting a cloud and Jesus standing in the cloud. Josephus talks about men standing, armies standing and marching in the clouds. And what is that? Well, you can draw all kinds of pictures. You can turn it into a flying saucer. You can turn it into all kinds of things of your own imagination. But they're not really very specific. They're taking words of their language that people understand and they're applying it to what they're seeing. And especially if you go look at Ezekiel and Isaiah and these these people who are, are given visions, they are they see certain things and they describe them. And if you can listen to the description based on the use of language that had no words for what they were seeing you can come up with uh, an imaginary drawing that is quite different than what they actually saw. And it's maybe not that important to know exactly what they saw or what they're talking about. The same as when they're talking about heaven. We don't necessarily need to know exactly what it's going to look like. And it may not look the same to everybody. That's another uh, reality that we need to accept. But the key element of heaven is that it is a realm. It is evidently what we would call from this earthly, fleshly point of view, a spiritual realm in which entities live and God is centered and from that angels or messengers or whatever it is those entities that are living there come and go and provide certain 
uh, events. We see in Revelations 12:7, and there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So there's a dragon and angels, and there's Michael, an angel, and they're in heaven, and they're fighting against each other at some point in time. And we see reference to this even in the Old Testament that there was some kind of a war in heaven. So if there's soldiers in heaven, there's angels that are soldiers, whatever angel means. Again, the word angel often in the New Testament means a messenger. That's someone working for God. It's got a message from God. And evidently Michael had some sort of a message that included a sword. And and the messenger who came to the garden had this fiery sword. And, And so we can draw all kinds of pictures from this, and people have. And I understand that, you know, words are symbols of ideas and pictures are symbols of ideas. But the reality is we have to be careful that we do not carry this, uh, these words too far and try to draw a detailed picture where we're now literally worshiping the picture, the image that we have created in our own mind rather than understanding the basic fundamentals that Heaven is a spiritual realm. And evidently where the dragon, the devil, the Satan was driven to and his his followers, uh, we refer to as hell. And that's another realm. That's not heaven. There's heaven where the good guys are and hell where the bad guys are. And what makes them bad? They're not as good as the good guys. And so they're missing some... They may have loyalty. They may have... Uh, uh, courage, but they're missing some aspect of the character of God and no longer can enter into the kingdom of God and to the, whether in heaven or on earth. An important aspect of that. So if the kingdom of heaven is at hand and we're manifesting the character of God and the character of God is being written on our hearts and our mind, that would be part of our armor from evil. Today, if we go out and look in the news, there's all kinds of evil afoot. Uh, there are people trying to uh, stop the evil by electing this guy or electing that guy and, and uh, creating offices of power. And then, of course, if you create offices of power, men who seek power will seek office. And that's where those gods many come from. Men who think they are the ruling judges of man. And maybe because of covenants we have made with them, agreements we may have made with them um, it's through covetous practices that we are made merchandise to these gods many of the world who want to rule over us and take our labor and take our children and force us to do these things I mean like in the mandatory military service in the kingdom of heaven is God having to force people to follow his will or are they just simply ostracized from this spiritual realm because of the fact that they refuse to obey God. Isn't that kind of what happens to us? Is that we're cut off from God. We can't walk with God if we do contrary to the will of God. Now we may think we're walking with God. And of course God and Christ talks about those many coming in my name. But I know them not. And they're actually workers of iniquity. They think they're following God. But they are not. 
they are actually connected to that spiritual realm we call hell, the evil place. The place where people who also disobey God don't do the will of God. I mean, the devil knows the will of God. He just doesn't want to do it. And there are many people who call themselves Christians who actually should know the will of God and probably do, but they deny it and simply don't do it. They become aligned with hell and those who do the will of God, the Holy Spirit can enter into them and they can become aligned with heaven, this other realm. But remember back the very first thing that we said, his kingdom comes when his will be done. Now you can't do his will by sure act of your will. You won't even know what his will is by a sure, sheer act of your will or by the knowledge that you come to by reading the Bible. It, reading the Bible is fine, but again, without that revelation, you're not going to get it. Yeah, because if you could simply read the Bible and figure it out, then you don't even need God. But the reality is you do need God. So there is order in heaven. There is the divine order of God. And of course, there's a lot of people trying to tell us that there's a divine order on earth, like the divine right of kings. The the, the divine right of kings is made up by kings <laughs> who want you to believe that you have to obey a king because he's the king. Well, there are times when you have to obey the king. And Christ even said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And of course, you don't have a right to steal from Caesar any more than you have the right to steal from the poor or from your neighbor. And you don't even have the right to covet your neighbor's goods and you don't have a right to covet the power that your neighbor has given the king. But you're not supposed to become entangled again in the yoke of bondage. You know, God delivered us out of the bondage of Egypt and told us never to go back there again. Well, the reality is a lot of the false gospels, the false prophets that are out there preaching today have helped us deliver ourselves back into the bondage of Egypt. And we should not have gone there. Exodus 23 through uh, verse 5 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That be ruling judges, men who exercise authority one over the other. Something Christ even said, Thou shalt not bow down to thy down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord, thy God, am jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. Now, hate God? Well, this, this, uh, rather, that sounds pretty strong, but you kind of considered to hate God when you love other things more than God. And that's what happens is that we love the benefits of men who exercise authority, even though we know they only give benefits that they take away from our neighbor or even from our children. And we, but we want those benefits more than we want the benefits of God. And so we, we turn a blind eye to God. We turn away from God and we try to decide for ourselves what is good and evil. Well, that's not the way to find the kingdom of heaven. That's the way to connect to the kingdom of hell, to do contrary to the will of the Father. And that the visiting of the iniquity of the fathers upon the children is because the fathers, this is built into the system. 
if you go away from the precepts of God, which is that we should be living by faith, hope, and charity, which is love, but we decide to live by force and fear and fealty, which is hating the way of love and the perfect law of liberty, then there will be consequences built in. If you judge it's okay to take from your neighbor to get what you want, even if it's not stealing, it's just coveting, you've made a deal, you've made a contract, you've made a covenant, you've created a system of government. Maybe it's a democracy. Maybe it's a social democracy. Maybe it's a socialism, pure socialism or communism. If you've entered into agreements with such systems to obtain benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you're probably a worker of iniquity. <laughs> you're going the other way. So... The kingdom of heaven, though, is within you. And by that, we know that the kingdom of heaven is a matter of the heart. And we also know that it's a part of the mind. But it isn't our mind deciding what is good and evil. It's God writing upon our minds, showing us what is good and evil, walking with us in this world. And that's how this world becomes the garden of paradise again. Because what made the garden of paradise not a paradise is that you were no longer walking with God. You were walking in your own imagination. You were actually creating God in your mind by your will and desire so that you could do that which you wanted to do rather than the righteousness of God. And so we see in Isaiah fourteen twelve fourteen, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Well, have we fallen from the realm of heaven? Have we fallen away from the ways of God? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didn't weaken, uh, prostrate is what that word actually means, the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Above the light of God. Above the wisdom of God. Above the messages of God. We didst weaken the nations. This is how Lucifer fell. Was he, he went to Adam and he tempted Adam to decide for himself what was good and evil. And to be like God himself. And decide for himself what was right and wrong. Rather than walk with God. And receive the revelations of God. That shows us what is right and wrong. Now you can imagine God is showing you. But how do we know if that's your imagination. Or if it's really God writing in your heart and in your mind. Are you really getting your your understanding from heaven or are you getting it from your own imagination or possibly from the influence of false prophets? Well, by what you do. And and Christ gave us many things to look at. Paul gave us all kinds. If you're doing this, 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 big long list of things, we're not supposed to have anything to do with those people. They say they believe, but they're doing all this other stuff and coveting their neighbor's goods and fornicating with, not only with, other people but with nations 
most of the time, fornication and adultery is national adultery. It's not uh, individual sexual adultery. It's adulterating your right to choose by giving somebody else the right to choose for you. And usually you do that in order to get some sort of benefit or protection or what have you. Anyway, he says, he, this uh, Lucifer, uh, is his will to ascend into heaven and exalt his throne above the stars of God. It put himself in the place of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And so this is, this is how you fell. He fell away from the wisdom and guidance of God. And, and how do we, and we have done the same often, you know, Nimrod, Lamech, and Cain. They went out of the sight of God and tried to do their own thing. And that they're the ones who created the first city-states and the first governments and begin to set themselves up as the gods of those governments, the ruling judges, deciding what is good and evil for you. We see in the news today, in the world of the news today, that men are going to decide what is good and evil. And they're going to probably, many of them will call good evil, they're already doing it, and they're going to call evil good. And it's because you've created offices of power, because you've been slothful in the ways of the kingdom. And so this is why we're talking about this, is so that you get an idea. The ways of the kingdom is tapping, allowing the power and spirit of God to tap into your heart and into your mind. Isaiah fourteen fifteen also goes on to say, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. That's what's going to happen if you go this way. And, of course, that's Samuel 8. You know, First Samuel 8 speech yourself. And he says this is what's going to happen if you go this way. If you create offices of power to do what you guys should be doing in a network of love, that your offices of power will end up taking and taking and taking and taking and taking and taking, including taking your sons and daughters for their own purposes. They'll, they'll make your sons and daughters their slave. And you will curse your children with what you have created because you were slothful in the righteousness of God. Because Israel should have been able to do everything they needed to do without electing a king. But the voice of the people wanted to elect a king. So, the kingdom of heaven comes to earth when we obey what Christ said. What Moses said that God told him. What the prophets have all said. Has heaven always been a habitation of peace and tranquility? We asked that question in the article. You can find the article, like I said, at preparingyou.com. And we see in uh, Genesis, way back in uh, chapter 19, verse 24, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire, from the Lord out of heaven. You know, one of the things that there's the beast, which some people said was, you know, like Nero, the government of Rome. That's one interpretation. And not far off. It's, it, it's, uh, it's a picture. Uh, and 
the you know the fact is is that you know we we see that you know like Nero is not the actual beast, but he may be the personification of the beast. But he only has power because the people, the beast in every man, is giving him power. But uh, the beast is wounded in Revelations. And then there is the similitude of the beast, the image of the beast that comes about. And the difference between the beast, the first beast, and the image of the beast, the similitude to something that is like the beast. If Rome was the beast and then there's something like Rome today, the difference, according to Revelation, is that the image of the beast can make fire come down in the sight of men from the heavens. And of course, we see the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, this brimstone and fire. Now, you can draw the picture that God himself is up there throwing brimstone and fire or maybe the creation of God is built into the system that this kind of destruction came upon Sodom and Gomorrah because they were vulnerable to it because they were not doing the will of the Father. So this is an important idea. That, you know, exactly how that all interprets out. Did the fire and brimstone come from somewhere else? Uh, what brought it about? Well... They, the point is, is that they would not have been subject to it had they not been committing the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. So what was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? A lot of people said, well, sodomy, that's where we get the word sodomy. Well, no, that actually is not what it says in the Bible. Uh, sodomy may be evidence of the sin. It may be a symptom of the sin. Sin. But it's very clear that the sin of Sodom was that in a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor. They actually weakened the poor. Uh, Not only the poor, but even the poor in spirit. Because they created a system that was contrary to the ways of God. It was actually a, a system of covetous practices. And so that brought about the the symptoms, which is violence in the street and riots in the street and sodomy and and perversions and all these things came about. Abuse of young people, abuse of women came about because they created a system that in the time of affluence they did not strengthen the poor. Now there's more to it than that, but that's the description we see. In Exodus 33, 2, we see And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. So how does uh, the angel drive these things out? Well, is it similar to what we see that it comes this lighted sword guy, you know, this this, uh, guy with his lightsaber, and he is shedding light that drives the Canaanites, Amorites, and Hittites, etc. out. Drives them away because this light proceeds our coming. Well, actually, you know, metaphor aside, the principle of that is seen on a regular basis for those who are seeking the kingdom of God. That, that a power can manifest itself so the enemy will actually move out of the way 
or or fail to accomplish its destruction of you because that light not only frightens away and, and sends away your enemy, it actually blinds your enemy. I mean, it's like the Pharaoh of Egypt who let the people go with the intention of going after the people and destroying them and stealing all the gold and silver and jewels that they were leaving Egypt with. Remember, they were given all these gifts by the people after the famines and the difficulties that Egypt was having. And so Pharaoh said they could go. And then he went after to destroy them out there in the open with his chariots. But he did not see that he was riding down into danger. And he was destroyed by his blindness. So anyway, David lifted up his eyes, as we see in First uh, uh, Chronicles 21 through 16, uh, verse 16, David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their face. Now, this idea of sackcloth. There may have actually been sackcloth, but that's again a metaphor. It's a place of humility. But again, the power of God is working because of the fact that we humility is one of those notches on the key. Forgiveness, which you can't really have forgiveness unless you have humility. Uh, so... Uh, all these things are part of these keys to the kingdom because they're a part of the character of Christ. In Isaiah 13:5, we see, And Elijah answered and said unto them, If I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. Now, this was in Second Kings, uh, first chapter. But that's considerable power. Actually, he got into a little bit of trouble. Elijah got in a little bit of trouble because of this. And why, that's another whole story. But the fact is, this heavenly realms can have a physical manifestation in this world. We'll talk more about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So I'm going to talk about some of these different verses that I'm going to read out here that will give you kind of a picture. The verses, the words are again symbols of ideas and they're going to kind of draw you a picture. But it is not the picture that you need to understand. It's the principles behind these Stories, whether they're allegories or metaphors in the allegories, that you need to understand the principles of this. Elijah, like I said, got into a little bit of trouble uh, when he used power that God had given him to manifest the power of God. And we're all given power. I mean, we we walk, we talk, we breathe, we. Uh, you know, maybe our arms uh, go out and do things. Maybe we're really strong. Maybe we're really smart. We all have talents and we have, we can use those talents. And that is power. Now, how we use it will affect us. 
and uh, Moses had the power. He could he he could make water flow from the stones, whatever that means, uh, and he could force them to the the stones to create that flow. Well, he got into trouble for that. <laughs> he had the power to do it, but there was an abuse of power. God gives us all power to test the inclination of our hearts. We may abuse that power, and the abuse of that power will be manifested. And like the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah had the power in a time of affluence, but they did not use that power to strengthen the poor. They used it to actually weaken the poor and get more power over the poor and the people. And Nimrod did the same thing. Had great ideas, but he also had this desire for power. And this is why power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Christ is the only king I know that wasn't corrupted by power. Even David was corrupted by power. And here we are giving more and more power to the rulers of the earth. And we're expecting them not to be corrupted. I mean, we had... uh, Well, I won't mention any names because... But you can look out in the news and see how power does corrupt. And it also makes you more slothful and more weak. You're not even seeing the corruption. You have politicians that go in poor and come out millionaires. And you don't even question it. The news doesn't even question it. And it's usually a matter of record. You can find out how they got this money. But nobody wants to look at it. Because they have become so weak and slothful in seeking the righteousness of God that they allow thieves and robbers to steal from them on a regular basis. So like I said, Elijah got into trouble. Moses got into trouble. Uh, Saul got into trouble. Solomon got into trouble. David got into trouble, but he did repent from time to time. But the trouble came nonetheless. And usually it has to do with the abuse of power or the abuse of giving power to other men rather than maintaining our own responsibility. We see in Isaiah 13.5, they they come from a far country from the end of heaven, even the Lord, and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Because they come from this place of iniquity, they bring the weapons of God's indignation. It's built into the system that if you give power to men, you will corrupt them. If men seek power, they will be corrupted by it. And then the they will literally become the weapon of his indignation. They will... They will serve God's purposes, the rulers of the world, that we have given power to. And they're going to punish the wicked. And who are the wicked? Us. Because instead of receiving the responsibilities of God so that we could exercise our rights, we gave our responsibility to somebody else. Even though we knew that they would use that power to force you know, to to weaken the poor and to force the contributions of the people. We weren't living by charity, we were living by force. We weren't living by love, we were uh, living by covetousness. 
and we were becoming accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for our livelihood on the property of others. So we see in Isaiah 37, Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote the camp of the Assyrians, a hundred and fourscore and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So when they arose, they were dead. <laughs> so is is this like, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings where the dead are become an army? There's a lot of ways to be dead. Was not Adam and Eve, they, they said, if we eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we will surely die. And the evil says, no, you won't die, but you will be like God. But when you became like God, you died to God, and God no longer walked with you. You had to hide from God. So there's a lot of ways to be, to, maybe they just rose up as dumb as corpses. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the point is, is that the angels of God bring the effects of God. Because they're built into the system. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. This is in Acts 12, 23. He was eaten up of worms and gave up the ghost. Eaten up of worms. This is like maggots. Supposedly his belly ruptures open and he was eaten up by worms. The fact is, is there's a lot of things that are built into the system of God that are manifested in physical realities. And you can research them and say, oh, well, no, this came because, you know, like, why do flies know to go to dead meat? Why why do they smell dead meat? And they, they hover around it and they go to it to lay their eggs in it and make their maggots. It's because... Something changes in the meat when the person dies. Bacteria takes over. Why didn't the t- bacteria take over when you were alive? That, so this uh, message that we see in nature is a manifestation of spiritual realities because all of nature came into existence because the Spirit of God breathed, back there in Genesis 1-1, breathed upon the fountains of the deep and life came forth. So there are patterns in life and we can look in nature and see the patterns of the spiritual realm. That if you go a certain way, death comes about. The maggots come in. Uh, Your vision uh, disappears. If you go another route, you may pick up your life more abundantly. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of this evil thing. It wasn't really evil, but this this negative thing. And said to the angel that destroyed the people, it is enough. Stay now thy hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Aranah uh, and uh, the Jebusite. But that was way back in Second Samuel 24. We see also, and the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again into his sheath thereof. Jesus did the same thing to Peter. I always point out that 
Jesus didn't say, throw away your sword. He says, put it up. We're not using it here. <laughs> he didn't say we wouldn't use it again. He just, we're not using it here. And this is why the Holy Spirit and the revelation of the Holy Spirit is so important to know when it is God's will that you do something and when it is just your own imagination. So in Genesis 28:12 we see, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on earth, on the earth, this ladder was set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Isn't that what Nimrod was trying to do? And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. So the angels of God were going up and down between heaven and earth. They were interdimensional creatures, so to speak. And they were coming from this realm into this realm. Now, there may be again, maybe there's a ladder that that goes to hell as well. Because that's one of the things Shakespeare said. And it may be coming about as we speak is that hell is empty and all the demons are here. The the influence of God and the influence of evil are manifesting itself daily in the world. Now, there are those who think they are followers of Christ but are actually workers of iniquity because they are not doing the will of Christ and they are actually the angels that they see or the... Uh, the messages that they get may actually be from that other place. Because we know Satan can appear as an angel of light. But the reality is, whether you see it or not, whether you understand it or not, there is influences from these realms. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended upon heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Now, we're seeing the angels of God coming from heaven, doing all kinds of stuff and altering things on earth. And I can only imagine that the angels that are fallen angels from the realm we call hell can also come here and influence and control events. The only protection you have from these in these spiritual realms is to be allied to the righteousness of God. So you have to be doing what God says. And if you read in Numbers 22-23, they talk about Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. Who is Balaam? Who is the Nicolaitan? When we see in Revelation, the Balaam and Nicolaitan are two and the same thing. The Nicolaitans are the conquer people. Balaam actually stands for also the conquered people. Balaam. And uh, what they're conquered by is their own lust and avarice and sloth. And it bring, makes them subject to the influences of these other realms that are not cast up. The realms that we refer to as hell that are cast down. Now, a lot of people aren't going to understand how extensive that reach is in our world today, but we're starting to see the evidence of it on the 6 o'clock news. If you watch the 6 o'clock news, I don't get any news that way. But the reality is it's because of choices that we're making not to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not actually do the will of the Father, not actually follow 
the commands of Christ. People say, I believe in Christ, but I just don't want to do what he commanded us to do, what he told us to do. And in Jude 1.6 we see, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. And so unto that day, well, the chains are being loosed. (laughs) And evil is this way come. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, what does he have in store for us who are not doing what Christ said? So from the beginning, Satan, he didn't just kill Adam and Eve. He seduced them. This this dark entity seduced them into following after a way that he knew would cut them off from God and make them vulnerable. And remember, we were given a command by Christ. I often ask the trick question, what was God's first commandment? And people start going to the Ten Commandments. And, and well, no, his first commandment was to dress it and keep it. That was a responsibility, a job. And we evidently have some sort of a choice as to do that job or not do that job. And if we walk with God, we will know how to do that job. But Satan doesn't want you to keep it. And he also doesn't care whether you dress it or not. He he doesn't want you to keep it. He wants you to lose it just as he wanted you to be cut off from God because you ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You decided to decide for yourself what was good and evil. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Satan is often equated with the idea of being the adversary of God. You know, he didn't want to do the will of God. He was given his own realm. We call that realm hell. We imagine it to be full of fire and brimstone and all this kind of stuff. And um, exactly what it is, it doesn't really spell it out. But it's this other dimension on which entities exist and do their own thing that is not in conformity to the will of God. It may be at times, and they can appear to be angels of light, but it's not really in conformity to the Spirit of God. They... They have denied some aspect of the character of God. They still exist. And, you know, they they talk about the pit and all this kind of stuff. And that's, we're not going to get into that, into all that depth. But we need to understand that we were given dominion. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the uh, over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So we have this dominion that we were given and that we were to dress it and keep it as we see in Genesis 2.15. Uh, when he put us in this garden and he walked with us, we were to dress it and keep it. But that's not what the adversary 
wants. He wants you not to keep it. He wants you to give up your rights in order to do whatever. And usually we give up our rights to obtain benefits. And when we do it to obtain benefits at the expense of our neighbor, we become bound on earth. If we do it allowing somebody to borrow against the future, we curse our children. And so the dominion is not ours. The dominion belongs to those who we empower to exercise authority one over the other. Usually, like I say, to obtain benefits. We usually make a a bad deal of it. It's not like the deal that Joseph made. They don't actually have to provide us with any benefits. And of course, before the Israelites were freed from the deal that Joseph made on their behalf because they were found wanting and ended up in this bondage of Egypt, they had fallen more and more away from the ways of God. In order to be set free again, they had to go back and learn to do without the benefits of Pharaoh. And of course, Pharaoh withdrew. He says, no more straw. You still have to work, but I'm not going to give you any more benefits. You're going to have to take care of one another some other way because I'm not taking care of you. I'm not going to give you the leeks and onions and benefits and the straw but you're just going to have to fend for yourself, but you still owe me 20% of your labor. And so they went through these hard times, and they went through these hard times during famines that also came by way of God's built-in law. And they became stronger for it, and God could hear them, and God could lead them out. Of course, they still had a lot to learn out in the desert. But eventually, they were allowed to have dominion in the land. The important thing in the story of God creating this universal trust where he's giving us dominion of the earth, he does it on condition to dress it and keep it. And uh, there's an ancient proverb that says, Heaven lent you a soul. Soul is your corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality. It's your rights. Earth will lend you a grave. Because you will die without the Spirit of God and the Spirit of life because the Spirit of life is what gives us life. So we have, we've played, you know, the Satan has played the role of supplanter, but we have played the role of supplanter, superseding the will of God and oppressing one another. See, if if evil gets us to kill one another, destroy one another, then it's not completely on the head of the adversaries of God. And they feel somewhat justified in the fact that they got us to commit the wickedness. You know, in the Milton's Paradise Lost, there's a poem that, or a part of his poem that says, The accursed, the exorable son, so to aspire above his brethren to himself assuming authority, usurped from God, not given. He gave us only over beasts and fish and fowl. Dominion, absolute. The right we hold by his donation, but man over man he made not. He made not Lord. 
Such title to himself preserving, human left from human free. Socialism is man over man. Democracy is man over man. In a republic, you're free from things public. We don't even know what a republic is anymore. We actually mistake an indirect democracy for a republic. But a true republic, a pure republic, a libra respublica republic, we're free. It is not man over man, not even the majority over man. It doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want. If you do contrary and, and violate the rights of your fellow man, uh, he does not bear the sword in vain. But the idea of giving the power of judgment and the power of the sword to to centralized authority where we vest the multiple authorities of multiple men into one individual uh, is dangerous because you're giving one man more power than is meant to have and that will be a corrupting influence. It, we see in, um, uh, in in one quote in the Bible that uh and in Peter we see but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. The word government there is actually the word dominion. You see, we were given dominion. It's not the word for government. It's translated government, but it's actually the word for dominion. We were individually given dominion. I always remember the Wycliffe Bible in the introduction, which Wycliffe is one of the first English translations of the Bible, one of the earliest. In, in the introduction it says, this book is for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people, which was, is not a democracy but a republic. It is, the dominion is given to us individually. We should all own our own land, actually own it, the lawful title, not a legal title. But we don't own our own land. Legal title does not include ownership. That's a, that's in the definition of legal title. But that's how we should have dominion and we should learn to work together as a nation, as a people, based upon the principles that Christ gave us, the, the righteousness that God, Christ talked about. But we have lusted after uncleanness. Another word for the uncleanness would be the wages of unrighteousness. You know, the benefits that are provided by government taking from our neighbor. That's like taking a bite out of our neighbor. When we go that way, we despise dominion. We give the power to the government. This is what Peter is talking about. We despise dominion when we sell our rights like Esau... To obtain benefits at the expense of our neighbor. And we set in motion, as we judge, so shall we be judged. So if it's okay for us to take from our neighbor through men who exercise authority to obtain benefits, it's okay for our neighbor to take from us to get what they want. And guess what? You got more neighbors than you. And so they can take and take and take and take and take. And the men you have empowered to do that intend to do that. They, they, you know, the, the great reset they talk about in the news and at the World Economic Forum and, 
and we hear it coming out of, you know, where they're going to build it back better. Their idea of better is no private property. And they said, well, you can't take away private property. Folks, you know, I, this is what I said 50 years ago. And the New World Order is here already because of the choices we have made. They're just trying to figure out how to break it to you. There is no private property. Legal title does not include ownership of property. It is an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest. The beneficial interest is the right to use the property. Stop paying rent, property tax. They take the property away from you. That's not private property. That's property by permission. You don't own it. Somebody else, the one who has holds the equitable title, is the, considered to be the true owner of the property. And you could say the government holds that, but the government is in debt. So who holds that? Well, you say the world bankers own that. They have a full stock. But who owns the world bankers? Is somebody arresting dominion from mankind? If you choose not to go the ways of unrighteousness, they will try to kill you. They will hate you. So anyway, in Peter, in Second Peter 2.10, it goes on to say, Presumptuous they are. Those are the ones who despise dominion. Self-willed they are. Not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Well, let's talk more about that when we come back and false prophets. Because that's why we are where we are at today, as we've been listening to false prophets. Be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So I said that there, we're going to talk a little bit about false prophets, and of course that's what Second Peter chapter two talks about. Is but there were false prophets also amongst the people, even as there shall be false teachers amongst you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves a swift destruction. You know, where they'll wake up corpses. <laughs> where they'll, they'll be dead to Christ. They will still want to think that they believe in Christ. They will want to believe that they're following Christ. They will have preachers that tickle their ears and tell them that they're saved. But they'll actually be workers of iniquity. And what he goes on to say is, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, which is not the way of Christ. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. You will become human resources. Now, if you go to our page at Preparing You uh, and look up heaven, you'll find there. I put in a bunch of subheadings. This is basically the same article, a little bit, not much changed. A few places here and there I changed a few things from the original article that's in the book Covenants of the Gods. But under the subheading of false prophets, so that I, it's it's about five thousand words uh, essay originally. That uh, if you go down there it, the, and find the quote there in, in Second Peter, you can also use the search engine to find it uh, on the website. But there's another article, Merchandise, and we explain why Peter is saying that you will be made merchandise, which, of course, is going to be the fulfillment of Revelations 
And people say, well, God has prophesied all this. There's nothing we can do about it. Well, there's something you can do about whether you're going to be merchandise and slaves of men or servants of righteousness. You do have a choice. Now, you can't just undo. You cannot save yourself. There's no, like, paper you can fill out and suddenly now you're free. A lot of people going around saying things like that. You can't just take up a gun and, and rebel. You need to dissolve the bands which have connected you with another. And those bands are not just some signed agreement, but they're covetous practices. Your desire for benefits at the expense of your neighbor. You say, well, I don't do that. Did you go to public school? Did you send your kids to public school? Did you send your parents to the government to be taken care of and say, well, I don't have to take care of my parents. They can go collect their Social Security. Is that because you say, I have to do no more ought for my parents. You need to understand what Corbin of the Pharisees was because it was making the Word of God to none effect. Because it's your responsibility to take care of your parents. It's not the government's responsibility to do that. Actually, in the law itself of the Social Security Act, they have no responsibility to take care of you or provide you with any benefits whatsoever. They can they can withdraw all benefits, no more straw, no more leeks and onions, and you still owe them 20% or 30% or 40%. Like I said, you know, that 20% was a ceiling limit for Pharaoh. <laughs> to craft a, craft a state, he increased that, but the reality is it was a ceiling limit. You were in the bondage of Egypt if you owed 20% of your labor of what you produced in a given year to the government. That's the bondage of Egypt. You're back in the bondage of Egypt again. You are merchandise. You are human resources because for generations now you've been engaged in covetous practices desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor through men who exercise authority. Which is not a republic. It's a social democracy where you an indirect democracy yeah you elect representatives and they are lawmakers they are going to decide what is good and evil you have not been seeking the kingdom of heaven you've been seeking the kingdoms of the world you have not been seeking the righteousness of God but the self-righteousness of false Christians you have been abandoning the way of God You didn't even follow the direct commands of Christ. Your ministers should make you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that you you can create a daily ministration to take care of the needy of society in pure religion based on faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and fealty, which is the way you've done it, which is contrary to the teachings of Christ. But... You have been made merchandise. You have been made human resources. You are back in the bondage of Egypt, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and her damnation slumbereth not. And now we see it coming upon you. How quickly it will come, I don't know. Things have happened a lot, awful quick in the last couple of years from this. One of the reasons why I'm making this, we were now to replace the old recording, is because now you see something wicked this way come. (laughs) And 
that you have the other side of your political solution has no strength against the evil. They are not as wise as the serpent because they are not of God either. They are, they are the foolishness of man. They're, if there is a political solution, it is the politics of Christ you need to learn. Because the politics of Christ is not about force and fear and fealty. It's about righteousness and seeking the kingdom of God, the government of God that operates by faith, hope, and charity is what you must do to be protected from the evil that is coming upon you. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So this is your choice. Do you want to be a part of the unjust who are living by the wages of unrighteousness? Or you want to be a part of the righteousness of God and have a daily ministration based on pure religion? Pure religion is taking care of the need of your society unspotted by the constitutional orders and systems of governments of the world who use force and fear and fealty. But see, your preachers have brought in this damnable heresy that it is okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. No. I'm not saying disobey the government. I'm saying stop going, praying to the government for your daily bread, which is in the Our Father. You're still praying to the governments of the world for your daily bread, for the daily bread of your parents, for the education of your children. You need to repent of that because it aligns you with the adversary. Frederick Bastille said a long time ago, everyone wants to live at the expense of the state. They forget that the state lives at the expense of everyone. This is coveting your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority. And that is a damnable heresy to think that that is the way of God. It is simply not. And it, Paul told you this. Peter told you this. James told you this. Jesus told you this. Moses told you this. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods even through the governments of the world. And if you do, they only require that you bow down thyself to them and serve them. But we're not to do that. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. If you're not going to do it the way Christ said to do it, then you must hate Christ. You don't love Christ. Are you fed the truth? Are you misled by fables? of the false prophets who sit in the pulpits of your church and say that you're saved because you believe in Christ. How can you say you believe in Christ when you will not do the will of Christ? Not those who say, but those who do it the will of the Father. So I had a minister actually tell me, oh no, no. Jesus said that before he was crucified. Christ 
said it because it's true. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. It is actually good. Seas are often equated with people. But the people are tossed to and fro unless they are gathered together. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. They hid themselves because they had done unrighteously. They had decided to decide for themselves what was good and evil. And we have been doing that for too long. Now, can the revelation of God write upon your heart and your mind that we need to turn around, repent, think this other way, think we need to provide these benefits through righteous ways. That way we form a righteous habitation which God can protect if we will come together and do it. Heaven really means to be one with God. Thy kingdom come when thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that heavenly realm is the full armor of God. And you do not have the full armor of God if you are continually in, you know, seeking the works of iniquity. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a counsel is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it in the hearts and minds of those people who repent, think according to the ways of Christ instead of the ways of the world and the false prophets who have been teaching you from their pulpits to go the wrong way. In the days of John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, think differently. That's what repent means. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here on earth at hand. It is a spiritual realm. Yes, it is another realm. I had a pet pastor say that once. You know, the heaven is a place. It's a realm where your soul goes. But God wants His Spirit to be operating in you and His Spirit will operate in you when you do the will of the Father and it is not the will of the Father that you covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. It is not the will of the Father that you take a bite out of your neighbor so that you can have the wages of unrighteousness, the benefit of those men who exercise authority one over the other. We have to remember that the kingdom of God is fulfilled. It is here now. You're just not aligning yourself with it. You could be. And maybe there are tracks in your life that has been doing that. You know, in Matthew 11, it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. 
Now that's Matthew using that phrase, kingdom of heaven. Suffer violence and the violent take it by force. The, the violent are those people who establish their daily ministration by force, forcing the contributions of the people, which makes the word of God to none effect. If you want to be free, you have to set your neighbor free. The perfect law of liberty requires that if you want the right to choose, you have to give the right to choose to others. The systems of the world have been moving more and more, for the, especially for the last hundred years, towards taking away the right to choose from your neighbor. And now we're going to see that magnified over and over again across the whole spectrum of society during their great reset. Best you align yourself with the greatest reset, which is the righteousness of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they which are persecuted for the righteousness sake. Everybody's going to get persecuted, but not always for the righteousness sake. Well, what is righteous? It's righteous that you sit down in the tens, hundreds of thousands according to the command of Christ and take care of one another through charity instead of force. And if your church is not telling you that, your church is not preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Certainly not preaching the gospel of Christ. In Matthew 6, it says, After the manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So where do you get your daily bread? From the governments of the world or from God? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Are you telling me that it is the will of the Father that you pray to men who exercise authority one over the other to obtain benefits at the expense of your neighbor? And even at the expense of your children and grandchildren because they borrow all the money that they use to give you these benefits. The greatest destroyers of freedom are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And Satan stood up against Israel, which is the place where God prevails, and provoked David to number Israel. This was Satan getting David to number the people. Now, he had counted the people. The people are taken into account to the to the ministers of the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But now David is numbering the people. He repented of that. But have you been numbered? And the devil taking him up unto a high mountain, meaning Christ, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them for that is delivered unto me. So the power that he was pointing out was delivered unto him. He had dominion. And to whomever I will give it. Well, Jesus turned him down. But Jesus, all power was given to him. But, Jesus still gives you the choice. Follow him as king. Be baptized in his way, in his righteousness. 
or continue following the devil and his kingdom of covetousness, of force, of gifts, gratuities, and benefits at the expense of your neighbor. That's the way of Satan. That is not the way of Christ. All human joy are swift of wing, for heaven doth so allot it, that when you get an easy thing, you find you haven't got it. <laughs> you know, so that, that was Eugene Fields. I just liked it, so I slipped it into the page. But the fact is, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is not necessarily an easy thing. You know, and we have articles up that talk about Jesus in the trial with Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate asked him, you know, if he was a king. And he says, he was a king. Thou sayest it. You know, he doesn't profess himself. Thou sayest it. I am a king. You know, people want me to be guests on other programs. They need to advocate for that. I'm not going to call up other people and say, you should have me on. (laughs) You advocate if you think I should be on there. And if they want to get a hold of me, I will make myself available. But uh, according to the will of God, you know, I have to make those choices in the moment. But yeah. God's kingdom is one of possession, courage, loyalty, and industry. Uh, It is also a a system of obedience to the will of God. And if you're doing things contrary to the ways of God, then you're probably not doing the will of God. But Jesus was a king of the Jews, specifically the Jews as a nation. And the Romans that Paul was writing became part of that kingdom. They weren't necessarily doing what the Pharisees were doing. They didn't have the handwritten ordinances that came out of the Pharisees, but they were doing what Christ said to do, which was living according to the perfect law of liberty and the righteousness of God. And and many people today are not living according to the perfect law of liberty. They're living according to force and fear and, you know, they don't take care of the needy by sharing. They take care of the needy by tribute, forced tribute. See, the, the tithing you are to give to your ministers is to be for taking care of the needy of society. It isn't to make preachers rich. You know, ear ticklers, which is what they should be called today. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. But you have to align yourself with Jesus and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the righteousness of God by seeking, persevering, striving, as Christ said to do. You will not be able to do enough. You will still only be saved by grace and and God will come out to meet you halfway and walk with you and guide you individually together. Liberty is one of the most precious gifts which heaven has bestowed on man. With it, we cannot compare the treasure which the earth contains or the sea conceals, for liberty as honor we can and ought to risk our lives. 
And on the other hand, captivity is the greatest evil that can befall us. That was Cervantes. Cervantes said that, so that, you know, he was a Spanish writer. And uh, I, I quote him a couple of times. He was the Don Quixote guy. Today, you know, we see a lot of people, you know, fighting against, you know, the, the new regime that is taking over. And, you know, they thought Trump was their salvation, or that he was going to shake things up. You know, no one is more revolutionary than Christ. But you have to follow the whole Christ. And not be Don Quixote's fighting windmills because of your bad vision. God is giving you the vision. He's talking about it and we're talking about it today. What is the righteous ways of Christ? You know, in Psalms he says, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I... Be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Well, then stop trying to have dominion over your neighbor. That is, uh, you know, I mean, way back in Proverbs, when thou sittest and eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to your throat. If thou be a man given to appetite, Be not desirous of his dainties, his wages of unrighteousness. For they are deceitful meats. John the Baptist said it. That if you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. Don't elect men to take away from your neighbor so that they will give you the coat. You have to, in that process, you will learn the righteousness of God. In that practice of pure religion. But you have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to make that work. And that's why Christ commanded that his disciples, his ministers, that he appointed the kingdom to would do that. For I say unto you, the accept, that accept your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. We need to repent. We need to turn around. We need to go the other way. Until then, peace upon your house. And may God be with you. Join us on the network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.